Praise the Lord. Good morning. If you would turn in your Bibles to Joshua chapter 14. And the title of my message is Fight Like a Dog. Fight Like a Dog. Amen. How many in here fight like a dog? Have you ever seen a dog fight? All right. I don't, I don't, uh, um, I'm not recommending dog fighting, okay? Just making sure you know. <laughs> Joshua chapter 14 says this. Then the children of Judah came to Joshua in Gilgal. And Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, that's kind of important. He's the son of Jephunneh, and they were Kenizzites, okay? How many remember the ites in the Bible? Those are those who um, occupied the Canaan land where they were coming into the land of promise. Well, Caleb was one of the Kenizzites, okay? And he said to Joshua, You know the word which the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, concerning you and me in Kadesh Barnea. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land. I brought back word to him as it was in my heart. Nevertheless, my brothers who went up with me made the heart of the people melt. But I wholly followed the Lord God. So Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land where your foot has stepped, shall be your inheritance and your children's forever. Because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. And now, behold, the Lord has kept me alive. And he said, these 45 years, ever since the Lord spoke the word to Moses, while Israel wandered in the wilderness, and now here I am, this day, 85 years old. And yet I am strong this day, as on the day that the Lord had sent me. Just as my strength was then, so now is my strength for war, both for going out and for coming in. Now therefore, give me this what? Mountain or hills. I'm reading from the New King James Version, and the King James Version also says, give me this mountain. Some versions will say, give me the hills. I like give me this mountain. All right? So give me this mountain of which the Lord spoke in that day. For you heard in that day how the Anakim were there, and that the cities were great and they were fortified. It may be that the Lord will be with me, and I shall be able to drive them out, just as the Lord had said. And Joshua blessed him and gave him Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jehunah, as an inheritance. Hebron therefore became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, to this day, because he wholly followed the Lord God of Israel. And the name of Hebron formerly was Kirjath Arba, because Arba was the greatest man among the Anakim. Then the land was at rest from war. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you, Lord God. Lord, speak through your word, Lord God. Put something in your people, Lord God, that only comes through faith in you, Lord Lord, let it never leave them. Let it burn in their belly like a fire, Lord God. It'll never be put out. 
your name I pray, Lord Jesus. Do it today. your name I pray. And everybody said, Amen. Hallelujah. title of my message is Fight Like a Dog. You say, well, man, how do you get that title? And the reason is, if you look up Caleb's name in the Hebrew, it means a dog. And so a dog, in language, even today as it was in, in Hebrew... Calling somebody a dog has a lot of different meanings to it. It can be a very negative term, it could be derogatory, or it could be something good. And I think both of these options were available for a man named Caleb, because his name just simply meant a dog. On the one hand, we don't know why his dad, Jafuna, is his name. They just can't have normal names. You know, they just can't be Bob or Joe or Mike or... They have to be Jofuna, right? Caleb's good, though. But he named him a dog. Now, at the time he was being named, you have to remember this part of history because it's very important. At the time he was named a dog, he was a slave in Egypt. Caleb was a slave in Egypt, and he was treated like a dog. And so his first 40 years of his life, he was a dog. He didn't get treated very kindly. He didn't have anything probably of much value. He didn't have a lot of things probably going well for him. And on top of that, he was living among the Jewish people as a Kenizzite. And one thing you have to understand, there's a misconception about the children of Israel when they were in Egypt and when they came out of Egypt. You've got to understand this family of Jacob were 70, 75 people. They went into Egypt because of a famine. And they came out about 1.5 million people. But you have to remember that a lot of people were also around during that famine. And so of the 1.5 million people, there were a lot of people from their original geographic area that also went to Egypt. How many know that? And so when they came out of Egypt, the Bible says that there were many nations that came out of bondage with them. How many know that? There were many other nationalities that came out of Egypt with them. And so one of those nationalities was Caleb's family. He was a Kenizzite, which is not a um, child of Jacob. In fact, they're probably more along the line of Esau's line. They're probably Edomite. But the Kenizzites were a group of people that lived in the promised land, and they're mentioned during the time of Abraham. So Kenizzite is not a natural child of Jacob, not from the 12 tribes of Israel, but he's always included as being with the tribe of of Judah. And so he was basically grafted in to the tribe of Judah. And so the tribe of Judah, as they get into the desert, and they're delivered from bondage, and and they become a nation, they go to Mount Sinai, and God develops a nation out of them. He begins to arrange leaders. And so as he begins to arrange leaders in each tribe, there was a lot of controversy. There were sometimes the eldest brother 
who got passed over for younger brothers. In fact, a lot of the arguments they had in the wilderness was because who Moses selected for leadership. And when they get to Kadesh Barnea, how many know that God wants them to have the promised land? God has a land where they're not even going to build houses or plant orchards. They're going to come in and occupy this land that God had promised them uh, over 400 years ago with Abraham. He said that there will come a day, you'll go to Egypt, your people, and you'll come back numerous, and I will give you this land as an inheritance. And so they're living in that day now. And so they came to a place called Kadesh, and this is just south of the promised land. And so they're about to enter into their inheritance and your ears need to perk up. Because that inheritance is symbolic of the inheritance that we have in Christ. And we need to understand that we have promises and purposes and things that God has promised for our life. And you say, well, man, what are some of those things? Eternity is a big one. In fact, it says we'll inherit the earth. That means when my heart stops beating and I'm done living on this earth, the Bible says to die is game because I'm going to be in the presence of the Lord in a place that he's prepared for me that's more beautiful than anything here. He'll wipe away every tear. I'll never cry again. I'll never die again. I'll never be sick again. I'll never worry about a paycheck again. I'll never worry about the things that I worry about in this world the moment my heart stops beating. Why? Because I have a promise. And if you don't have a promise, you don't have that. But I have a promise. I have a promise for abundance in this life. I have a promise to be free from sins in this life. How many know I have a lot of promises? And you say, well, God promised he would get rid of my addiction, but I'm still fighting it. You have a promise. God promised me my family, but I don't see it happening. You've got a promise in the word of God. This book is full of promises that are mine. You say, well, man, that's too bad because I would like them. They're yours. And this message is all about how do I acquire the promises. This man had the boldness to say, give me the mountain. I'll take the mountain. Now, what was the mountain? The mountain was Mount Hebron. You say, well, there's a lot of mountains. There's a lot of rocks and In the promised land, you know, he just wants one mountain. What's one mountain? Not just any mountain. This mountain in Hebron is in the city of Hebron, which is called the home of the patriarchs. Hebron is a big-time city. It's called the home of the patriarchs because the patriarchs live there. Abraham bought a tomb there. He buried himself. Didn't bury himself. That'd be hard to do. He buried his wife there in Machpelah, which is in Hebron. They buried him in that same place. Isaac was buried there. His wife was buried there. Jacob and his wife were buried there. Also, they are pretty sure that Adam and Eve were buried there. Pretty special mountain. He says, I'll take that one. This is coming from a dog. This is coming from, in fact, a lot of times if you weren't Jewish, what did they call you? A dog. You weren't one of us. 
But here's the thing about Caleb, and I'm just going to tell you the story because I like telling the Bible stories. If I read, I get bogged down sometimes. But as they're coming out of Egypt, in fact, let me explain what a dog is. All right? I I explain derogatory terms. Like um, you call somebody a dog, it's a bad thing. You call a slave a dog, it's a bad thing. Um, When you're in sports... There's a term called a dog. How many of you ever heard the term? I'm, I'm going to get your street vernacular here, okay? You say, I've never heard vernacular on the street. Oh, you haven't been on the street with me, right? But when you're coaching, you have a person sometimes. Like I've had conversations where I will say, All right, just make sure you listen. <laughs> You have, you have a person sometimes, you're coaching football, and he's not very good at football. Or basketball, he has no skill set. Or baseball, he's just not real good. But then one of your coaches, and I've had this happen before, they'll say, yeah, but he's a dog. He's a dog. And if you don't understand what that means, you don't realize why he should be in the starting lineup. Because when they say he's a dog, that means that he'll fight you. That means when the going gets tough and you're in the middle of a game and you want to win that game, he may not have skill set, but he's a dog. They might understand what that means. That means he will fight you, he will scrap with you, he'll do anything necessary within the rules, hopefully. Sometimes a dog don't play within the rules. All right? And that means that he will, he will fight like crazy because he doesn't want to lose. And there are a lot of times, in fact, if you don't have one of those on your team, it's really hard to ever win. You have to have what in sports we call a dog. And so if they call you a dog, that means you will scrap. If you have a team of dogs... They will scrap. I mean, you will walk out of that football game and you'll know that you've been playing against somebody. You'll have bruises, you'll have you'll be beat up, and you'll realize that man, they were dogs. And so my message is entitled Fight Like a Dog, and Caleb, his name means dog. And Caleb has this fight in him that the other ones don't have. And so God is trying to tell us that faith requires fight. Faith requires you to have fight in you. And so let me explain what this is not. This is not belligerence. This isn't being a warlike personality that fights about everything. Nobody likes that, right? This isn't a person that fights for his own, um, his own um, advantage. Like, I want this, I covet this, so let me fight for it. Or I want to do this, or I want this for myself. This is one that understands what God's will is. Understand what God wants for not only Caleb's life, but for the children of Israel's, you know, for their future, and he's going to fight. In fact, you've heard, let me give you this term here, you can take the dog out of the fight. 
Like I can grab my dog on a leash, pull him back out of the fight, but you can't take the fight out of the dog. So Caleb is 40 years old when the story starts, and he's an 85-year-old man that is just as feisty to fight as he was when he was 40. And not just fight for belligerent reasons, like just to not get along with people and fight about everything. That's not godly. That's not even biblical. And not just to fight for things that are selfish, but to fight for God. This is a part of his faith that God wants us to have. Now understand, that is the nature of a dog. And when you recognize this nature of a dog, in fact... um, if a dog is not loyal to, to you, how many know if he's not your friend, then you may not get this nature come out in him. But if he's your friend, watch out. In fact, I had a, a UPS driver came yesterday and the dogs were going crazy. And, and I looked outside and um, they're right there on him. You know, they're not going to bother anybody. They're gentle. But one wrong move. How many know that? It's the nature of the dog. One wrong move. And and, and not every dog will protect you. In fact, it's what we love about dogs. How many know that? How many know your cat will allow you to be murdered in your front yard and they'll wonder why you didn't feed them lunch? Right? But I personally watched family dogs one time, and, and this story would be so much better if it was a more vicious dog, but there was this really angry poodle that came to our house one day. This, I wish it was a Rottweiler, but it wasn't. And my kids were kind of small, and they'll remember this. And that poodle jumped into the air to get one of my kids. I'm not going to say which one because it might embarrass them. I don't want to embarrass anybody. But it went into the air to grab one of my kids, and my dog shot through the air intercepted that dog and bit its neck and the dog ran off. I mean, no, a dog will do that. And you say, well, that was a poodle. That's probably why he he was bigger and badder. But you know, if there were a bear that came around my kids, the heart of that dog would attack a bear to protect you. How many know that? How many have had a dog like that? But not all dogs have the dog in them. I have another dog. He's a little bitty dog. And uh, he kind of cracks his knuckles while the other dog takes care of all all the business, right? He makes a lot of noise and then he sits back and he'll crack his knuckles in front of him and say, you better get out of our yard. But then when the fight comes, he actually runs. The other night I was trying to get him to be quiet because the door was open in my garage and he was parking or he was barking outside the, something outside the door, but he was hiding behind the tire of the car barking at something outside the door. The other dog ran out there to address the situation. Um, The other day, another delivery driver came, seen only my faithful dog that uh, protects our house, seen him, and she was scared and didn't want to get out of the car. And then finally, my wife came out. She actually called me on the phone, told me she was scared of the dog. He's a very gentle dog. Doesn't bother anybody, but he barks, protects the house. And uh, so my wife comes up, she sees how gentle he is, and then the other little dog came out, and she said, oh, what a cute little dog. And he goes, he don't have the dog in him. All right, and some people don't have the fight in them that they need for their faith to be effective. 
And so what God is saying in this message is, fight like a dog. Because what's really amazing is the term Caleb began to change in Hebrew language. In fact, the name went from being a dog, which his dad named him, and the alternative meaning of the word is wholehearted, full, brave. In fact, let me write everything I wrote on that. I remember where I put that. Oh, here it is. Faithful, zealous, bold, brave, or wholehearted is what the name became to mean. And so I want you to think about that dog that is so brave. What, what is it about a dog's nature that he will give his life for you? You, know, you ever think about that, how noble that is? That a bear could attack you and that dog will give his life to protect you? In fact, one time I walked out my front door and there was a giant raccoon. Mean, thick neck. And I jump out and I kind of get aggressive and I say, hey, did you see that? And I go to start to run after it. And before I could even blink my eye, with speed, I mean amazing speed, within two seconds he had that raccoon by the neck, flipped him a few times and threw him out in the weeds. You know, you know how noble that is? I've seen my little girls walk uh, in my yard and a snake will be there. Now, the other one doesn't do anything, but this noble-hearted dog will get the snake away from the girls and kill it. You know that that dog, late at night, walks every one of my family to the door and back every night. How many times have I walked through, and in fact, I try to always go in the refrigerator, I have some snacks, I give that dog, and I always try to give that dog something, and Try to acknowledge the dog there, but many nights I've walked by and just totally didn't acknowledge the dog was even there. He follows our cars to the end of the lane, back to the lane. I mean, no, that's noble. And so this is what you find in Caleb. This is the example of the man of God that God wants us to see and wants us to be like. He wants us to fight like a dog. Noble, wholehearted. And so it says here, the first way you can do it is you have to be wholehearted for God. It says, this is from Numbers. This is 45 years before the text that I read. Remember the text I read? I said that he was uh, 85 years old and he said, give me the mountain. 85-year-old man says, give me the mountain. And not just give me a vacant mountain. Give me the mountain with the biggest and the meanest enemy that we have controlling the mountain. I mean, you know how hard it is to take a mountain? You're coming from lower ground to higher ground. And by the way, the greatest champion that the giants have ever had lives on that mountain. And three of his sons that are so well known that you list them. He says, give me the mountain, but by the way, it's the best real estate, but nobody wants it. Because in order to take it, you have to beat the giants. So an 85-year-old man says, I'll take the mountain, and if God's with me, I'll remove the giants. Isn't that amazing? An 85-year-old man. But here he is 40 years ago. This is in Numbers chapter 14, verse 7. Listen to what kind of a man he is in 
It says on verse 6, Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had explored the land, they tore their clothes. Now let me give you a little setup here. God is preparing 603,000 men to go take the promised land. And you say, wow, that's, that's a good number. We're probably going to win. But it says they were outnumbered and outarmed everywhere they went. Everywhere was a city that was um, protected. It was militarized. It was lots more people than they had. Stronger, bigger, uh, better equipped. They had uh, iron and, and the children of Israel were slaves in the desert. It was like sending uh, people with um, um, shotguns to fight against a uh, armored tank division. Okay, that's what basically they say historically they were up against. And so they send 12 spies into the land to see what the land looks like. Now, I don't know how they did it. They probably posed as merchants. But they actually went all the way to the top of the promised land to scout it out, to see what the enemy looked like, how easy they would be to defeat. Now, there's some Jewish tradition here that's not biblical, but it's the Jewish record of some of the things that occurred there. And they actually say that when they went all the way to the north, on the way back through, it says, Caleb said, we have to go see Hebron. We have to go see the tombs of the patriarchs. Now, isn't that something? And they said, yeah, I don't think that's a good idea. And he talked them into it is what the extra biblical, and I'm not saying this is biblical, but there is a Jewish um, history, a separate from the Bible history that says that Caleb was the one that convinced him to go to Hebron and see the tombs. Now, what's amazing about this is he's grafted into the Israeli culture. That wasn't, Jacob wasn't his his, his ancestor, it was a relative probably, but not directly. He was the least probably connected to the family. But he was all about the promises of God. He was all about God. He wholly had given his heart to the Lord. And he said, I've got to see Hebron. And then when they got to Hebron, they claim, this is another extra biblical thing, so don't go around saying that I said this was true, but they also claim that they argued with him over the fruit. He wanted to bring the fruit back to show everybody what was in the land, but they argued with him and said, we don't want to get their hopes up. And eventually he convinced them, no, they've got to see what's here. And there's also a legend, and these are legends again, that says that Caleb seen some of the giants, and they were all scared because the giants were so big. How many know that's why they wouldn't go into the promised land? Because of the giants. Well, there was a group of giants they claim were around the area, and Caleb raised his voice at them, and they left. And he wasn't scared at all of them. And when he raised his voice, they walked away. This is all extra biblical, by the way. I haven't said that already. But the biblical story is they went to the promised land. They bring back giant produce. They come back to the children of Israel. The ten spies say, good news is it's a great and awesome land. God's given us the best. Bad news is we can never get it because there are giants there and we can't win. Caleb said this. 
It says Joshua and Caleb, and then later it says it was Caleb's words. So Caleb was the one speaking, not Joshua here. Joshua represents the children of Israel fully. He was from the tribe of Ephraim. He was the leader that replaced Moses. But Caleb here is the one speaking up. And it said to the assembly, The land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the, if the Lord is pleased with us, He will lead us into the land, a land flowing with milk and honey. He will give it to us. Hear that? He'll give it to us. Then He says, Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not be afraid of the people of the land because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us, so do not be afraid. Are you starting to see this spirit this dog has? This is the dog I was talking about. Like I said, he was a dog when he was a slave, but he has some dog in him. Okay, what it really means is there are some people that are really nice, But you have to kind of warn him. You have to say, hey, don't mess with him too much because he's really nice, but he has some dog in him. That means if you push him too hard, they'll fight you. How many know that to be, that's what that means. Caleb, when he's pushed on the promises of God, he's going to believe God every time and he's going to fight you. He had dog in him. (laughs) Good name. You'll feel so bad I made your middle name Caleb now, right? (laughs) All right. Look at this verse 20. Skip down. It says, the Lord, this is after they reject the ideal to go into the promised land. And now God is very upset because they won't obey his promises. And God says this, the Lord replied, I have forgiven them as you have asked, Moses. Nevertheless, as surely as I live and as surely as the glory of the Lord fills the whole earth, Not one of those who saw my glory and signs I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness, who disobeyed me and tested me ten times, not one of them will ever see the land I promised on oath to their ancestors. Not one who has treated me with contempt will ever see it. But because my servant, Caleb, had a different spirit and followed me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land he went to and his descendants will inherit it. 603,000 men, and he picks out one dog. Don't you think God is trying to tell us how we should be? You can't read that and say, well, God promised that he's going to do it, and maybe will, maybe won't, maybe I'll fight for it, maybe I won't. No, God's saying one person I accepted, and his name was Caleb, and he has a promise of the land. So fast forward, he's 40 years old at that time. How many can see he's willing to fight? And he's willing to fight not because he's a tough guy, not because something he sees in himself. He is a tough guy because God told him it's yours to have. It's a promise. And he's applying that promise and saying, we can't lose. We can't lose. And... So he builds his life on a promise. This is the second thing, how to be a dog, how to fight like a dog. You build your life on the promises of God. In fact, he might have been like a bulldog or like a pit bull where you don't let go. You ever tried to pull something out of the mouth of a pit bull? Or you ever tried to fight one? (laughs) They're made for fighting. 
But he holds on to promises and he builds his life around it. In fact, there are five promises, just a short little dialogue he has as an 85-year-old man with Joshua, and you find five promises that he hadn't forgotten. How many of you know you can go 45 years and never forget a promise? Everybody else probably forgot, but this 85-year-old man is saying, Pay up, God. I was faithful. You said this to me. This is your promise, and it's going to happen. You say, well, man, when when will this ever be something that's useful for my life? Well, I'm glad you asked. Isn't it amazing how I ask your questions for you? It's awesome. The promises of God... He made personal. God said you're going to have the land. God said you're going to defeat the giants. God said it's your inheritance. And he took it personal. And that's why he knew he was going to win. And you say, well, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You have to take that promise and it has to become yours. That's what faith is. Do you know if that promise doesn't become yours within the course of your lifetime, you don't have an ability to say, God, pay up. Because it's only by faith that I receive the promise. So every day of my life, I've got to fight like a dog to say the promise is mine. And I'm going to stand before God one day and I'm going to say, I am here to collect the promise because I had faith and I received it as my own. You say, is it only salvation? No, it's not only salvation. It's addictions. God, you promised victory over this addiction. God, you promised victory over depression. God, you promised victory over this anger. God, you promised victory over these things in my life that I don't feel like I can beat. And you're going to hold on to that promise like a bulldog and you say, well, man, is he going to get rid of my addiction? Because it's been a week already. It's been a week already and I'm still addicted. It's been one month and I'm still watching garbage that I know I'm not supposed to be watching on the internet and on TV. It's been two weeks, God. Caleb would say, you're not a dog at all. You're like that little dog barking and hiding behind the tire. Faith requires perseverance. Faith requires holding on to a promise and not letting go. 45 years is faith. Two weeks is a change in attitude. There's a big difference. Faith is God said it, I believe it, and it's going to happen And I'm going to build my life on the promises. And I can guarantee you at 95, I'm going to be believing the same thing I'm believing now. And it doesn't matter what happens in this life. I trust the Lord. He is standing at 85 years old where we're going to be standing at the end of our life. And we're going to have to answer to God, did I stand up on the promises of God? Or did I back away like a little pup that has no dog in him? This guy wanted to fight, even though he was an old man, he still knew that God promised it and it's going to happen. And guess what? It did happen. 
So the second thing is we need to build our life around the promises like Caleb did. In fact, here are the five promises. I didn't even read them. Wow, what a speaker I am. Promise, five promises. Number one was, you know the word which the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, concerning you and me in Kadesh. You notice he said, the Lord said? There are preachers today that say the Lord doesn't speak to people. Well, if the Lord doesn't speak to people, then Caleb is a liar. The Bible is a lie. And he's got nothing to stand on for his life. God speaks through this word first. But you know what? Every great thing God has asked me to do personally is because in my prayer time, I have learned to hear the Lord. When the Lord tells me something, it's as good as done. It's already been accomplished to me. When Caleb heard that the Lord said this to Moses about him, he already said, it's done. It doesn't matter if I'm 40. It doesn't matter if I'm 85. It's done. And so if you want to be a dog spiritually, if you want to be one that has fight in you, you're going to have to take the Word of God and just believe it. That's promise number one. Then he says, I was 40 years old when Moses the servant sent me to Kadesh to spy out the land, and I brought back word to him as it was in my heart. Now what was in his heart? We're going to win. We're going to win because God said it, the original promise. And I brought back word to him that was, in, that was in my heart. Nevertheless, my brothers who went up with me made the hearts of the people melt with fear. But I wholly followed the Lord my God. So Moses swore on that day, saying, so that's promise two. Promise three, surely the land, this is what God said, the land where your foot has stepped will be your inheritance and your children's forever because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. Now let's say that Caleb was this uh, dog. And, and by the way, you can count how many times I say dog. And the different ways I say it. You know, as I do, I vary it. But this dog could have been divided in his heart. How many know that? It says he was a wholehearted person. You say, well, man, I don't know why it's not going well serving the Lord. It's because you're halfway. You halfway believe God about happiness and joy in your life and reaching His promises, and you halfway believe the world. You say, well, what does it mean to believe the world? That means that um, you're fooled about what real, true joy is. Like the world will tell you, joy is what you have, what you receive, and God's saying, no, it's much greater if you give. And when you're not wholehearted, trusting God, how many know that you can't fight like a dog? That's why a lot of people don't fight. Because they're like, well, I don't know, you know, I'm afraid to kind of get in that fight. These giants are big, I might not win. I probably can't beat depression. I probably can't beat all these things. I'm afraid of my finances. I'm afraid of my job. I'm afraid of relationships. afraid of all these things. And you're half-hearted. And God's saying, no, fully trust me. Fully believe me. When I say something, believe what I'm saying. 
And so he, he was wholehearted. And then it says, and behold, look, he says, look, God has kept me alive these 45 years ever since he spoke that word to Moses while we were in Israel wandering in the wilderness. And now, here, I'm, here I am right now, 85 years old, and I'm as strong as the day Moses sent me. My strength, as my strength was then, so it is now, both for going out and for coming in. The next promise, God is going to keep me until he fulfills it. And he had a fire. Do you see the fire that's burning in his belly right now? It's burning there because he knows God is going to give him inheritance. And he knows those giants that he wanted to fight 45 years ago are his for the taking. In fact, I love the way he said it. He said their protection is gone. (laughs) Okay, they're giants. They're well armed. They're a much bigger army. And he says, let's take them as a 40-year-old because their protection is gone. God's given them to us. And at 85, he's the same way. And you say, well, man, what's this old man have to do with me? That means when you build your life on the promises of God, guess what you're going to be at 85? You're going to be as strong and as energetic about the Lord as you were when you were younger. I'll put the enemy to flight as an old man as well as I did when I was a young man. I will be preserved in my strength because I'm following the promises of God. You say, man, if you have a vision of what your life is built on with Christ, I have a vision of that. This is how I'm going to live live my life. This is what I'm pursuing in my life. This is what God has called me to build, God called me to do. And how many know that desire and that fire is what keeps you young? Keeps the fire burning. Remember he said he was going to come back and there were half of them that didn't have oil in their lamps and half of them that did? You know how you keep oil in your lamps? You burn for God's will in your life. And when you burn for the promises that God has to see them fulfilled, you will be full until the end of your life. And then you can collect. How many would like to collect? It's kind of like having a half million dollar life insurance policy and it's matured and you turn it in and you get a half a million dollars. I'm going to turn it in one day and I'm going to say, you know what, I had faith and a fire till the day I died. I'm cashing in now my inheritance. How many know that? Isn't that awesome? So here's Caleb, 85 years old, cashing in on his inheritance. It says that he and his children would have a legacy. Notice it said, forever your children will have Hebron. Now Hebron is a special place. Hebron, the actual word means friend. It means friendship, friend, love. The place that he was taking is a special place because Abraham became God's friend there. He met God face to face and became his friend there. Wow. Bible makes it hard to interpret, right? So I'm going to try to interpret this for you. This town used to be Abraham's home. Abraham became God's friend there. He found intimacy there. He found closeness. He found the promises of God going directly into his heart. They go to Egypt. It gets taken over and renamed Kirjath Arba. 
because he was the greatest of the giants. And he had three sons that everybody knew by name. You know why you name an enemy? If you were down at the basketball court, let me give another sports reference, because Chris likes them, right? You're down at the basketball court and you beat somebody in basketball, not that big of a deal. I could have been playing like a fifth grader, which is who I would usually pick out, you know, just to help me. But if I was down at the basketball court and I had just beaten LeBron James or Michael Jordan, you name them. So when you name the greatest giant in the entire land, and his name is Arba, and the Bible says he's the most well-known of all of them, there's a reason why they name him. Because everybody, were, they would talk about it. they talk about the greatness of him, the, big, you know, the size of him, how big he was, how impossible he was to defeat, right? And then he had three sons that everybody knew by name. These three sons were named because they were the greatest champions in the land. Okay? Now maybe you're starting to see the picture. Hebron was called the place where you become God's friend. It's surrounded by the greatest champions of the enemy. All right? Some people, you can directly connect the giants with demonic activity. Let me just say that. Swirling around the homeland of the patriarchs, the, the, the epicenter of faith of Abraham, the closeness of him with the Lord, are a bunch of giants that say, you can't have it, it's ours. Caleb had his, he's the only one that had an option to pick where he wanted to live. They were getting ready to draw straws. That's how they were going to figure out which tribe went where. They drew, not straws, but they basically, um, Urim and Thummim, And so they cast lots is what they call it, similar to drawing straws. But they cast lots, and it was ordained by God to do it. And right before they get ready to cast lots to see who goes where, and and there's still people in the land that have to be defeated. Caleb could have easily said, give me this beautiful area on the Mediterranean that's cleared off, ready to go live. I'm an old man. I want to retire. And isn't that what we say? Just let me retire, Lord. I want to go to heaven, and I just want to retire and you know, I'm 85 years old. I've worked really hard. And no, 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 not Caleb. He's got some dog in him. Or are you seeing his personality here? He's a fighter. Our faith has to fight. And so he says, no, I'll take the mountain. And they were like, beautiful, beautiful. Everybody was like, great selection. Awesome. You know, they clap and they're like, he wants the mountain. Man, I'd love to have the mountain. You know what the mountain is? It's your family. It's them living for the Lord. It's having a legacy of living for the Lord. It's being strong in a world that's dark. It's having the blessing of God in a world that hates God. And everybody cheered that he wanted the most beautiful real estate. And then they thought to themselves, I'm so glad I'm not him. Because Arba lives there. Three boys live there. There's an enemy there that's better armed, more fortified. They've got the high place. It's impossible to win that city. But if I win the city, I become God's friend. There's intimacy there. There's promise there. 
There's an inheritance there. And by the way, that's the place where he never got to fight the enemy. You know, there are some athletes that will lose a game to a superior team, and the other guys on the team will say, I hope we never play them again. But there's a few dogs on the team that say, I can't wait to play them again. That's who I want. You give me that team because we'll beat them next time. And if I've got a few of those, I can go to battle. Church, I'm looking for those here. I'm looking for people here that have a little bit of dog in them, a little bit of fight in them, a little bit of not being afraid. I don't want people that are hiding behind the tire barking. You know, or saying, I don't want to fight. You know, your God is bigger than any enemy that you will ever face. And you say, well, mine's so big, we can't win. You know, I'm glad my dog doesn't say that bear is so big. I can't fight him. No, he's wholehearted. He's like, you know what? The people of God, Caleb was like, if God's with me, I'll win. But you see from his statement there that he's almost also like, if I die, that's okay. If I die, it's okay. I would rather die fighting than live fearing. I'd rather go against the enemy and against the things that the enemy's doing in this world and die than stand in fear and live in the desert. And so Caleb was a man that had this fight in him. So what kind of heritage did he have? Number one, he went to the land and he defeated all of the giants. He removed them from not only Hebron, but also a neighboring place called Debir. And that neighboring place, he said to himself, actually he said to the community, is there a man, because I've already cleared off Hebron, is there a man here that will clear off Debir like I did Hebron? And he had a nephew named Othniel that said, I'm your man. He offered his daughter in marriage. And so Othniel, whose name means lion, he was the lion of the tribe of Judah, symbolic of Christ. Othniel said, I'll take it. And so now he's got a son-in-law who is a lion from the tribe of Judah and he takes the neighboring city. I'm talking about the legacy that he's left because he's not afraid. Then his daughter says, before he can even walk up to her, his daughter Aksa says, I want the upper and the lower water because I plan on staying here a long time. She was a lion. She said, it's yours. She took the upper and the lower water. They settled their whole family there. Joshua and that whole generation dies. They're starting off well, but now the enemy comes in, tries to attack them, and guess who the first person after Joshua's death is raised up to deliver the children of Israel and give 40 years of peace? You say, well, the period of Judges, it was all bad. No, there were periods of 40 years they were great. Periods of 80 years they were great, and what it depended on is do we have leaders? If a leader dies and nobody's there to replace them, the enemy wins. If there are leaders being raised up, then God wins. And Othniel was the first of the judges, delivered God's people, 
And you say, well, whatever happened to that family? You know, David was from that family. What was David known as? He wasn't a Calebite, his wife was, but they were both the tribe of Judah, which mixed with the other tribe. David was a giant killer. David didn't kill the kind of giants that his forefather killed. <laughs> okay, he killed Arba. All right, I think Arba would even overshadow Goliath. And Goliath, how many brothers? You see how God raised up a family? A family that wasn't afraid, a family that had fight in them. And so you say, well, man, is, is it just me you're talking about? No, I'm telling you, if you hold on to the promises of God like a bulldog, you fight when the enemy comes and you don't back down, you don't give up, you don't walk to the left or the right, you trust God even when it looks like you're outmatched, then you're going to be an old man or an old woman, and you're going to say, God, it's time for my inheritance. That's what God wants from all of us. How many know that? Stand to your feet. Turn the lights down. Worship team. All right. Praise the Lord. As we go to the Lord in prayer, you know, there's the, like I always tell you, you have to have a challenge at the end of a message. And you say, Chad, I want you to put that fight in me. You know the Holy Spirit can put that in you? You know the Holy Spirit can, in fact the Bible said they were full of the Holy Spirit. David, when he slayed Goliath, it says he was full of the Holy Spirit. David's mighty men were full of the Holy Spirit. How many know they were from all the nations around the mighty men? You say, what do I need to be that kind of a dog that holds on to the promises of God and sees victory in this world. How many know the world is looking for some champions, some Christian champions that aren't afraid, that are going to stand up, they are going to have some fight in them, that are going to be a dog? And I told you, if you don't have them on your team, you're not going to win. You have to have those kind of people that will fight. In church, God's calling us to fight. And you say, well, how do I do it? Is it in me? You know that you can mistake... Confidence in God for arrogance. If I believe God is going to give me every victory, and I fully trust God to give me every victory, how do you think the world's going to look at me that doesn't understand that? They're going to see that confidence that I never am going to lose when God is with me and God has called me to do it. I walk with a different step. I talk with a different language. Caleb had a different spirit. How many know he walked a different way, he talked a different way? Moses had that. That's who he learned from. Do you know that Moses with Miriam and Aaron, they uh, basically accused him of being arrogant? They said, who does he think he is? He talks directly to God. Couldn't God speak to any of us? And the parentheses there says, even though Moses was the most humble man on earth. They accused him of being proud. Church, this isn't what's in me. It's not what's in you. It's not how strong we are. It's not how mean we are. It's not how tough we are. It's that God promised us victory. I'll never let that go. Everything I do in life, whether I'm fighting depression, whether I'm fighting anger, whether I'm fighting bitterness, 
whether I'm fighting every devil that steps in my way when I, when I go over the course of my day, I'm going to win, but it's not because of me. It's because I'm full of the Holy Spirit. In church, we've got to get full of the Holy Spirit. It'll make you a champion. It'll make you defeat the enemy at every turn. And you say, well, how do I do it? You get in the presence of the Lord. You just walk through the giants. No, the giant is not going to win. Period. You walk through the giants and you get to Hebron. Hebron is the place of friendship with God. But you can't get to Hebron unless you walk through the giants. But let God lead you. Let God walk you through and say, you know what? Depression, no more. Anger, no more. Bitterness, no more. Alcohol, no more. You say, I'll give it a week. See, you didn't hear the message. 45 years he was waiting to win the battle. For whatever reason, 45 years he held on to the promise. Hold on to the promise. Don't let go and wait till God fulfills it. Can we do that? You say, well, man, it took me 20 years to become an alcoholic. God needs to get rid of it now. Well, maybe give God 20 years since you gave the enemy 20 years to hook you. You got to get up every day and believe. Get up every day, believe the promise, and God is going to fulfill the promise. You say, have you had some? I've had some 20-year promises. I've had some 25-year promises. But God always fulfills what He promises through the Spirit. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you, Lord. Strengthen, Lord God. Lord, put that dog in all of us. Let us learn to fight like a dog, Lord, wholeheartedly, with everything we have, Lord God. Not wavering on your promises, but seeing them fulfilled through you in our life, Lord. Bless your people. In your name I pray. Amen. Just take a few moments to worship the Lord. Commit yourself. If you need prayer, we're here. We want to pray for you. itself out is, God, I'm going to serve you. It doesn't matter to me who shows up. If there were one person here, I would be preaching the gospel the same way. I'm going to show up. I'm going to be there. I'm going to trust you. 
going to get up every day. I'm going to pray every day. I'm going to seek you every day. I'm not letting go of the promises because you'll fulfill it. And what's happened when you do that every day, you decide you're going to serve the Lord no matter what. He begins to fulfill the promises that he's spoken to you. And so my life right now is pursuing what he's told me he's going to do. And so many times the things that he's told me he's going to do just make no sense. How many have ever been there? It's like, God, you're going to do what? And you begin to share with people as God leads you that God is going to do this, God is going to do that. And I can't tell you how many times he's done it and there was no possible way he could do it church right now inside of me is a fire for the things that God's told me he's going to do in my life. And my greatest dream for you is for that to be inside of you for your whole life. Man, God's promised me this and he's going to do this. And I'm not letting go of it. I'm going to see it happen in my lifetime. Church, that's what we need as a church. We need to get that inside of us. And you'll fight the rest of your life for it. And you'll be like Paul. So I fought the good fight and I'm ready to lay down now. I've been poured out like a drink offering. And you can just see, almost like Caleb. You know, a lot of the men of God just, uh, I can see Moses sitting on that mountain. Saying, I did what you told me to do. Watching him enter into the promised land. I can see Caleb at the end of his life sitting in his little mountain home saying, God, we did it. We did it. You did it through me, Lord. Church, that's what we want to do. We want to sit down at the end of all this and say, you know what? We gave everything we had. How many want that? And it means getting up every day, no matter what it looks like around you, just believing. I go to church every Sunday. You say, well, you're a pastor. You have to, but I always have because I don't want to see my family ever see me not in church. Let me know that. I don't want them to see me. Chad, you could watch it on the internet, yeah? They could too for the next couple of generations. Right? I didn't get a lot of amens there. It's important, church, to be here. It's important to give to the work. It's important to give your time. It's important to give your money. It's important to give these things because we want to lay down at the end of the day and say we fought a good fight. Hallelujah. Let's close in prayer. Hallelujah. Lord, do it. Lord, raise up people that fight like dogs, Lord God. Father, they have fight in them for your promises. They won't let go, Lord God. They'll live it out every day, Lord. Do it in this church, Lord. Raise them up. Put your spirit upon them, Lord God. Let them be filled. Let them be giant killers, Lord God. In the land of promise, Lord. In your name I pray, Lord Jesus. Do it right now. Do it, Lord God.